Journalists at the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Saturday night celebrated the First Amendment by rolling around in excrement, burying their backsides, and insulting women in honor of the First Amendment. President of the White House Correspondents' Association, Margaret Disgraceful, told her fellow reporters, quote, when the founders wrote the First Amendment, they intended us for us to swing from branches while plucking excrement out of our rear ends and throwing it at each other to celebrate our freedoms, unquote. Journalists at the dinner also gave speeches in which they compared themselves being criticized for distorting the facts with journalists in other countries who are jailed and executed for telling the truth. As one reporter put it, quote, we're kind of heroic like those journalists in foreign countries, except they're telling the truth and we're lying and they're getting imprisoned and we're having dinner in tuxedos. Otherwise, we're just the same, unquote. Some reporters came under attack after the dinner for acting like rabid animals wallowing in their own filth. But as one White House reporter put it, quote, Look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. I can take my pants off and stand on my hands because I'm Jim Acosta. Look at me, unquote. That reporter made the comments on condition of anonymity because he said he didn't want everything to be about him, Jim Acosta. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Shape-shaped, ipsy-topsy, low-end, zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, our friends in the press had a clavenless weekend, I'm afraid. You know, the clavenless week is coming up. I have a vacation next week, so you guys should be storing up with food and, you know, uh, pills to make the fresh, the water, make the water fresh and all that stuff. But. You can now get the Daily Wire on Apple News, so that should help. You can add us to your news channels and get our latest stories on the go, just like you would with real people. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we're going to talk about the, these our journalist friends, and we're going to. Knowles is going to come on and uh, talk about the, the caravan at our southern border. He will be asking for asylum. We will be refusing that, so don't worry. He will still be wandering the streets alone, as he should be. Meanwhile, you want we want to talk about Skillshare. You know, I've gone back on Skillshare recently. I'm planning to teach myself how to play the piano. You know, I'm always I'm always trying to teach myself something because they say that it keeps your mind fresh. It keeps your mind from decaying. Skillshare is a great place to do it. It's an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business design, technology, and more. And whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set or learn something on the side or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. I have to say, the thing I really like about these, not only they, these are video a series of video lessons taught by people who really know what they're talking about, and they're short, you know, so you can take in each one uh, in a couple of minutes and then move on to the next, and you can watch as many or as few as you want. And you can now join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer, which is just for my listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. This is a real deal. I mean, you can go on and just kind of look and taste some of the stuff they've got there before you pay your incredible 99 cents. I know you have to work for who knows how long you have to work to earn your 99 cents, but you can sample them. But then Skillshare is offering the Andrew Clavin Show listeners two months of unlimited access to these over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew and start your two months for 99 cents right now. That's Skillshare.com slash Andrew. They're lots of fun, too. I really enjoy doing them. Go take a look. So one of the things I have now learned is the left is 
lives in a fantasy of oppression and heroism, right? Two clowns get thrown out of a Starbucks and black people are oppressed. Black people are not oppressed in America. Black people are not oppressed in America just because two guys get thrown out of out of Starbucks or for any other reason. Some woman gets uh, chased around the desk at work and that's sad and I'm sorry that happens. Women are not oppressed in America. Women are not oppressed in America. And the press gets criticized for distorting the facts and having an open animus toward Republicans and toward Donald Trump, and they think that they are oppressed. Now, the problem is, when you, this is all fantasy. The press is as free as it can possibly be in America. There's no threat to the First Amendment, except maybe from the people who riot when right-wing uh, speakers come to campuses. Maybe that's a threat to the First Amendment. Maybe Google and Twitter and YouTube and uh, Facebook, uh, you know, creating algorithms that destroy conservative businesses and bury conservative speech. Maybe those people are being oppressed. Maybe that's an, an attack on the First Amendment. But it is not a criticism. It is not a, a an attack on the First Amendment for reporters to be attacked and criticized for what they are, in fact, doing, which is delivering biased fake news. So the problem is, the problem is, if you think you're oppressed, genuinely oppressed people have a right to do certain things that the rest of us don't have a right to do. Oppressed people can fight back. Oppressed people can treat their enemies like oppressors and like enemies. But if you're just here living in America where you're not oppressed, to do that makes you a lowlife. And so the press got caught in the Trump effect over the weekend, and it made me laugh. I chuckled like an evil villain in an evil chuckling movie. I did because they got caught in the Trump effect. The Trump effect is where people try to imitate Trump's kind of bullying brass style, but instead they find themselves under attack for being bullies and being, you know, uh, lowlifes. And the reason that happens is, is because Trump is actually reacting to something that happens. He's bullying bullies. But when the press acts like bullies, they're just acting the way they always do. These are the people who told us that Mitt Romney was a murderer, who told us that George W. Bush was a liar. These are the people who attack, uh, you know, Donald Trump for moving a Martin Luther King statue in the Oval Office when he didn't and then say, oh, it was just a mistake. It was an innocent mistake. So when they do it, it becomes ridiculous. So you have to, you know, you have to take a look at this White House Correspondents' Dinner. And I don't want to overblow this because it has been, it was a funny week last week where a lot of social, a lot of cultural stuff was coming up with Kanye West. And, you know, sometimes right-wingers are silly about the culture. They do not understand the culture. So they don't understand why it's important when Kanye West stands up and, and stands with the president. It's important because it shows that it can be done. You don't have to back down. You can be black and a Republican. You can be black and like Donald Trump. All those things are possible. It shows that. It doesn't make Kanye West a great artist. It doesn't make him a great philosopher. It just it doesn't even mean you have to like his music. I don't, I don't, I've never even heard a, the only time I've heard a Kanye West lyric is when Knowles is telling me what's in the lyric <laughs> His songs. That's the only, I, I for a long time I thought Knowles and Kanye West were the same people. You know, you never see them together. You know, and they and they both recite his lyrics. So I figured Kanye West and Michael Knowles were in fact the same person. But but in fact, in fact, I know it's important, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating the fact that Kanye West is showing people that you can be courageous and stand up for yourself, and you don't have to be Hank Azaria and back down. You don't have to be Shania Twain and back down. That's important. So this this dinner was important because it showed, again, a press living in a fantasy of oppression and heroism that gives them the right to do things they shouldn't do. But because it's a fantasy, when they get caught in the reality of it, it just makes them look as awful as they are. Let's let's start, first of all, Donald Trump 
just he's so much smarter than they are. I mean, just in terms, I don't even know if IQ is a fair measurement of intelligence. All I know is if Donald Trump is not smarter than our reporters, then it's, it's even worse because he just keeps outsmarting them. So they're being outsmarted by somebody who's not as smart as they are. He went to Washington, Michigan, right? He said, would you rather be in Washington, D.C. or Washington, Michigan, and made a speech about them and made them look utterly absurd. So here, here's just, just a quick cut of Trump, uh, cut number 13, talking about this dinner that's going on Saturday night in Washington, D.C., of the press celebrating themselves and creating their little fantasy of how oppressed and heroic they are. And here's Donald Trump just making fun of them. Remember the exit polls? The exit polls, they come out. Who did you vote for? None of your business. A hundred percent, those people are for Trump. We love those people. We love them. You know, there was a mayor of a certain city. (laughs) By the way, by the way, by the way, is this better than that phony Washington White House correspondence? Is this more fun? could be up there tonight smiling like I love where they're hitting you shot after shot. These people, they hate your guts shot. And then I'm supposed to. And, you know, you got to smile. And if you don't smile, they'll say he he was terrible. He couldn't take it. And if you do smile, they'll say, what was he smiling about? You know, there's no way. (laughs) Do they look like they're having fun? Of course, they look like they're having fun. Meanwhile, they're showing up at the dinner and CNN is covering the red carpet as if anybody gave a rat's caboose about what is happening at the White House Correspondence Center. The CNN is covering this like it's a red carpet. And who's their biggest star? The guy, the lawyer who represents the porn star, Stormy Daniels. Listen listen to this. This is, this is a red carpet interview on CNN as if they're going to the Oscars. At least people watch the movies. People don't even watch CNN, but they're covering this. And their big star is the guy who represents Stormy Daniels. Listen to this. And obviously, we see you there with Michael Avenatti, the uh, attorney for Stormy Daniels. Yes, Poppy, that's right. Probably one of the biggest stars we have at this dinner tonight. Certainly one of the most controversial, of course. This is Michael Avenatti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, the woman who is suing President Trump, of course. Welcome to the dinner. This is your first correspondence dinner? Yes, it is. So you are here, but President Trump is not, of course, for the second year in a row. The first president to not attend the dinner since Ronald Reagan, who, of course, skipped the dinner because he was suffering from a gunshot wound. Uh, What do you think about the president not attending this freedom, this toast to the press freedom, two years in a row? Well, as you know, I just call it like I see it, and I think it's entirely disrespectful. I think it's disrespectful to the First Amendment. I think it's disrespectful to the Constitution. I think it's disrespectful to one of the founding principles that this nation was founded on. If you can't laugh at yourself, you have no business being in the position, quite honestly. And I, I don't know why he's hiding tonight. The only excuse that is, is good enough for me is if he's getting ready for his next Fox & Friends appearance. 
If you don't have an excuse good enough for Stormy Daniels' lawyer, then you're really in a sad state of... I mean, it's an, it's an offense against the First Amendment, says this clown, because he didn't go to watch them celebrate themselves and attack him viciously. We will get back to this in just a minute, but first let me remind you that Mother's Day is coming up. Now, I know my listeners, many of you were just spawned, but for those of you who have mothers, you want to send them flowers. 1-800-Flowers is the way to go. They have got this beautiful uh, mix of roses. They sent, they sent it to me and I got to take a look at it. Just absolutely beautiful. And this Mother's Day, you want to say, tell your mom, thank you for bringing me into this world in great agony and suffering and then raising me in spite of the fact that you would much rather have been doing anything else. So say you go to 1-800-Flowers.com and you can say thank you for all those things with an exclusive 24 for 24 offer. 24 multicolored roses for just 24 bucks. That's only a dollar per rose. It's a bright, a beautiful mix of premium roses. 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak from premier farms and shipped over night to ensure freshness. 24 multicolored roses for only $24 is an amazing offer, and you'll still owe your mother at least $50,000 for just putting up with you at all. You have to hurry. This offer expires soon. Just pick your delivery date, and 1-800-Flowers will handle the rest. Don't put it off. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. How do you get this deal? You order 24 stunning multicolored roses for only $24 at 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter code CLAVEN. And then you ask yourself, who, how does my mother spell her name? She spells her name K-L-A-V-A-N. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code CLAVEN, 24. Beautiful. And it really is a beautiful bouquet. You get 24 roses for 24 bucks if you can pass the test and spell Claven properly. That's all you have to do. So this is an insult to the First Amendment. And this is what's going on. Let me, let me just stop for a minute before we get to this Michelle Wolf comedian and the stuff she said. There was a briefing at the State Department the other day, right? This is last week. And they put out this, this um, report on countries' human rights practices, right? So we're talking about places where people are being raped and tortured, children are being killed and murdered, you know, people are being thrown in prison. You're a journalist in those countries. It's like you, you raise your hand to ask a question, they just cut your hand off and throw you away, right? And the, the Associated Press's Mike Lee says to the State Department's Michael Kozak, he says, how can you represent freedom of the press when you are attacking us, us wonderful heroic reporters? Just listen to this quick exchange. This is uh, 16. How is this not, how are you do not open yourself up to charges of hypocrisy and how effective do you think you can be at leading by example? Thank you. Okay, let's see if I can remember each one of those. But uh, I think as you go through the reports, you'll see the countries that we criticize for limiting press freedom it's for things like having criminal libel laws where you can be put in jail for what you say. It's for things like uh, yanking the licenses of, uh, of uh, media outlets you don't like, or in many cases, killing the journalists. So I think we make quite a distinction between uh, political leaders being able to speak out and say that I, that story was not accurate or using even stronger words sometimes and using state power to uh, prevent the journalists from continuing to do their work. <laughs> this guy has to explain to the Associated Press the difference between being criticized because your coverage is unfair and being murdered <laughs> for telling the truth. He's got to explain this to people. I mean, it really is like these guys who got tossed out of Starbucks. It's the same fantasy. They're all living in this fantasy of an oppression and heroism that gives them the right to do 
awful things to other people who are not doing anything. It's like, you know, really, really, I mean, people, people were, there were slaves in this country once this guy gets thrown out of Starbucks and it's like, you know, swing low, sweet chariot. I mean, come on, you know, you're, you got it good. This is good here, you know, and the press is dealing with a president who fights back too bad. So this goes on into the dinner, right? They go into the dinner and the president of the uh, Correspondents' Dinner Association makes a speech in which she compares what they're doing there to the people who are actually in the room who were thrown into prison. This is cut number three. But we reject efforts by anyone, especially our elected leaders, to paint journalism as un-American, to undermine trust between reporter and reader. to cast doubt on the relevance of facts and truth in the modern age. An attack on any journalist is an attack on us all. This really isn't about the business of protecting journalism as a business. In fact, our business has all done pretty well in the last couple of years. It is about protecting a pillar of American democracy. The best leaders and public servants champion the First Amendment, even when the scrutiny is turned on them, and defend it at home and proclaim it overseas because they know that that helps democracy and freedom take root in places where violence, repression, and fear give cover to terrorism and corruption. I'd like to ask for a moment of silence to remember journalists around the world killed for doing their jobs <laughs> or who are alive but imprisoned. So we go right from them. Be, she, she says we don't have the it's terrible thing when they so distrust between a reporter and his readers. Right. I mean, this is basically what we should have. I love my country. I distrust my government. I love the First Amendment. I distrust the press because the press lies. They distort things. They're all on one side. We see how much they hate Donald Trump. We saw before they hated Donald Trump, they hated George W. Bush just as much, just as much. And they were just as nasty to Mitt Romney. So now they're going to tell us, oh, yeah, but this time the wolf is at the door. We can see what he's doing. I mean, we see he's an obstreperous, big character with a lot of personal flaws. We see he has personal failings. But he's doing a pretty good job, actually. He's about to he's about to he's just about to end the Korean War, possibly get Kim Jong-un to get, give up some of those nuclear weapons. Maybe, you know, maybe that'll happen. But it's like, you know, all they do is assault him in this unfair way. And then they want to they say, oh, it's uh, we're the victims here. And then she goes right into after talking about being criticized, she goes right into a moment of silence for people who are actually suffering because she is creating living in that fantasy, that fantasy that they are oppressed and they're heroes. So that gives them the right to have this comedian come on and do what she did. And they're trying to distance themselves from her, but they are her. Every, they, she knew that room. She knew what they wanted to hear, and she gave it to them, and they got caught. And for a while, before people saw, started to react, they were saying, wow, she really destroyed Donald Trump. Wow, she really got... I mean, people... CNN, in real time, was changing its opinion as the results came. Maybe she went... You know, she destroyed Donald... Well, maybe she went too far. Well, it was a disgusting, you know, performance. Let's listen a little bit to some of the stuff she did. The personal attacks on Sarah Sanders. She's not the first person to do this. Attacking her for her looks, attacking her as a liar. You know, it's an absolute personal attack. And Sarah Sanders is sitting there, who's a really classy lady. I mean, she's, you know, she, I, I would not have handled this with as much class. She handled this with absolute class, absolutely, uh, you know, raised her stock with, I think, anybody who was paying attention. But listen to the nastiness of this. And of course, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. 
I have to say, I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia and the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Mike, Mike Pence, if you Pence. haven't seen it, you would love it. steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're going to get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. <laughs> it's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little Jim Acosta. <laughs> I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts. And then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. <laughs> like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. <laughs> and I'm never really sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? Like, what's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? Oh, I know, Aunt Coulter. Wow. I mean, really, really nasty personal stuff. And make no mistake, they were laughing. You could hear them laughing. Anything they said afterward came afterward. She is them. They are her. And I know that's that's not grammatically correct, but it is true. They are the same person. She knew exactly the room she was playing. And and here's the thing. The left, the, what the left hates is they hate being caught out being who they are. Why doesn't it touch Trump when he does this? It doesn't touch Trump because he is who he is. He has always been the same person. He is a product of the culture the left created. It's the left in the 60s that introduced vulgarity. It's the left in the 60s that made it okay to say the things that people say now on TV and, and, and in public. And Trump is a product of that. He was created. He is like he is like Godzilla. You know, they set off the atom bomb that destroyed our culture. He's the monster that came out. And now when they stoop to that, they're the ones who have pretended all this time, you know, they're, they're guys. Joe Biden goes and says Republicans want to put black people back in chains. Nobody even takes a pause. Nobody says a word. That's fine. That's fine. But if Donald Trump says the crowd at his inaugural was bigger, that's a lie. You know, that's th that it was. That's a lie. You know, and so she goes on. And this was, the, to me, the most telling joke she made. She went after Mike Pence. And I don't know what it is about Pence that drives these people crazy, that he's too decent, that he's polite, that he's a Christian, that he believes in God, that he follows his creed. You know, what is it about Mike Pence that just sets them off? It's that he's better than they are. It's that he's a better human being than they are, and they can't stand it. That, he oppresses them by being better than them. So she goes, starts to go after him. But listen to the, the, what she starts joking about here. I do not, because just when you think Trump is awful, you remember Mike Pence. Mike Pence is what happens when Anderson Cooper isn't gay. Mike, Mike Pence, Pence is the kind of guy that brushes his teeth and then drinks orange juice and thinks, mmm. Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder. Which, first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. God. So she's making jokes about killing babies. That's who they are. And that's who they are. And by the way, I just want to point out that during that cut, if you couldn't see that, Roger Zelaney, 
the New York Times, former New York Times, now CNN reporter who asked Barack Obama uh, whether he was charmed and delighted to be president. That was his big question. How enchanted are you to be president? Zelaney comes out later on. Jeff Zelaney comes out. I called him Jeff Zelaney, right? He comes out and he then he says, oh, she went too far. Here's cut 15. I thought the jokes were one sided, not necessarily funny, but she was invited by the White House Correspondents Association. So, you know, I think that uh, this dinner has had a lot of uh, bad moments. I um, was thinking back uh, last evening as I was watching this cringeworthy uh, performance in some respects going after the appearance of Sarah Sanders, which I thought was inappropriate and not funny. You know, the uh, weapons of mass destruction video uh, from the Bush administration where people were climbing around the floor of the Oval Office wow. looking for the WMD. Also not funny. So it's not the first time there have been awkward moments. But look, I think the president wins. He goes out to Washington, look. a township of Michigan, uh, far away from this. The press uh, you know, has done a lot of incredible uh, work this year here at CNN, of course, the Washington Post, New York Times, other places. Uh, a lot of that was, uh, I think, overtaken by uh, a skit that wasn't very funny. And we sometimes uh, celebrate ourselves too much, I think. The reality is it's an uh, important job. And last night, I don't think we lived up to it. So just just remember the cut before he's out there, he's making he's laughing at those jokes about Pence. He's all this stuff, you know. This thing with Joy Reid, I'm going to end with this. This this thing with Joy Reid kind of sums up what what's happening with these people because they live in this fantasy. They live in this fantasy that they're heroes, they're oppressed. They're not oppressed. They're not heroes. They're just biased Democrats. They're just Democrats with press cards. That's all they are. They're Democrat spokesmen with press cards. They've been doing the same thing for 20 years. Trump has finally had the temerity to talk to them openly about it, to call them openly what they are, and they are scattering, and they're now suffering from the Trump effect, where the only thing they could do to fight back against Trump is to become Trump, and it doesn't look good on them. This is, he, this is the way Trump destroys people. He turns them into the image of themselves, but that just reveals what hypocrites they are, because Trump hasn't been a hypocrite. But Joy Reid was found to have put out on an old blog uh, you know, gay jokes, the stuff about people being gay and attacking politicians for being gay. They caught her out on it. Some guy on Twitter caught her out on it. She says, oh, that's not me. I was hacked. I was hacked. And then the, the, I think the FBI actually investigated this, but they found out she wasn't hacked. It was her. She was making these jokes. And Joy Reid is shocked, shocked to discover that she's Joy Reid. Joy Reid is just shocked that she is herself. OK, she comes on TV and she says, I can't I somebody has to pay. I can't believe that I'm me, that I wrote these things. I listen to it. Listen to it. A community that I support and that I deeply care about is hurting because of some despicable and truly offensive posts being attributed to me. Now, many of you have seen these blog posts circulating online and in social media. Many of them are homophobic, discriminatory, and outright weird and hateful. When a friend found them in December and sent them to me, I was stunned. Frankly, I couldn't imagine where they'd come from or whose voice that was. In the months since, I've spent a lot of time trying to make sense of these posts. I hired cybersecurity experts to see if somebody had manipulated my words or my former blog. And the reality is they have not been able to prove it. But here's what I know. I genuinely do not believe I wrote those hateful things because they are completely alien to me. But I can definitely understand, based on things I have tweeted and have written in the past, why some people don't believe me. 
It was evil Joy Reid. <laughs> you know, so it's like, what kind of an excuse is that? I, did, I, I wrote these things, but I can't believe it, and I'm shocked, and I will take this up with myself immediately. My only point about this is that only Joy Reid is shocked to discover that she's Joy Reid. Only the press was shocked to wake up the next morning and find we didn't think they were funny. We thought they were low. We thought they were mean. We think that they're dishonest. The, pre- the polls continually show that people don't trust them. Only the press is shocked by this because they are living in a fantasy. It's the left wing's fantasy of oppression and heroism, and it's simply not real. And when they get caught and when we see them, we know it's not real, and they're shocked, shocked to find out that they're themselves. Speaking of people who are shocked to find out that they're themselves, Michael Knowles is going to be with us to talk about the caravan at our southern border. That will be in just a moment, but first I got to say goodbye to uh, YouTube and wherever else you may be watching, like in some radio in an attic in some oppressed country, fearful that you might uh, be raided at any moment. We're cutting you off now because you don't subscribe. (laughs) Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. If you're going to get arrested for listening to us, you might as well have a subscription for a lousy 10 bucks a month. For a lousy 100 bucks, you get the whole year plus leftist tears. I know. And it fills up automatically whenever Noel speaks, which he will momentarily. All right, Knowles, nice jacket. Oh, this whole thing? Thank you very much. <laughs> do, 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 don't mind if I do. <laughs> so so I, I, I just have to ask, did you see this Avengers movie that everybody keeps telling me was so great? Uh, in deference to the Andrew Clavin show and the Michael Knowles show viewers, I did not see this movie because <laughs> I just know, I, you know, there's a 98% chance I'll have nothing nice to say about it. Right. And they get so, people get so angry when you they, criticize Marvel. I know. They get so ticked off at us. I, what I did, though, instead was I just danced around the room for two and a half hours thinking, I'm not watching this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know what I did instead? I saw any other movie. I saw any. Because, you know, I have movie pass, so they're all free. Right, yeah. You know, and yeah, I, I saw the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Quite good, actually. Was that good? Yeah, it was quite good. It's like every Joaquin Phoenix movie. It's just him kind of shaking and muttering to himself for he, two hours. He doesn't care if he makes contact with the audience at all. He like <laughs> I, watch, I watch the Hitman's Bodyguard which mm. I, ha- I have to be honest, like kind of second rate action films are my bliss. You know, they just they just put me in this kind of haze, like, this, you know, my eyes kind of get all white and milky. And I just sit there with this kind of stupid smile on my face. It was great. So anyway, what is happening with this thing on the southern border? Are we being invaded? It, I mean, if I read Drudge, it makes me feel like an ar- the armies of the night are coming for us. That's what's happening. Oh, okay. Speaking <laughs> of, of following your bliss, there are a thousand uh, in Central Americans who have left uh, Honduras and are marching all the way up and they've just arrived at the border at Tijuana. And uh, a lot is, there's a lot of fake news about this. Drudge is giving some of the best headlines because the mainstream media obviously are covering this up so much. So you've got to watch the words here. I have a PragerU video out today about how the left manipulates words to oh, yeah. manipulate our emotions. And nowhere is that more evident than in this, this migrant caravan. So what they've done is say that these people are not just foreign nationals who decided to invade our country. They are refugees or they're asylum seekers. And that language is very important because after the Holocaust, the United States agreed along with many other countries in the world uh, that whenever someone shows up at your door and asks for political asylum and makes the claim, no matter how absurd, that they'll be killed if they return to their country, you have to process them. So wow. you have to give them some entry and give them a, a due process and consider their claim. 
So this is, this is very important. The organization that is running this whole thing is called Pueblo Sin Fronteras, which is roughly people without borders or towns without borders. And it's, it's an ironic name because, of course, there isn't such a thing as a town without a border. The border makes the town and the border makes the country. Nevertheless, uh, there's, you know, what, I think what they want to suggest, what they want the optics to look like, is that this is a grassroots uprising of refugees in war-torn Honduras who have just one day decided that they're all going to march, heroically march 2,000 miles to the border. That's not really what happened. There, there are a lot of buses and trains that take part in this, and it's all organized by an American organization. Pueblo Sin Fronteras, despite the Spanish name, is actually based in Los Angeles County. <laughs> the organization's based right here, yeah. Uh, they, they use the name uh, in Spanish, well, one, because that's, I think, the official language of Los Angeles County, but also, <laughs> yeah. also to make it seem like this transnational movement, which is what they're trying to show. So there were a thousand people that left Honduras. Some of them fell off along the way. They stuck around in Mexico or, or somewhere else, and 600 are at the door. Now, it's amazing. The, the guy who's organizing this, Rodrigo Abeja, he he said, these, these are people that have been stranded in Mexico awaiting refuge. Uh, most of them have to wait a year or more, and, uh, and the majority of them get rejected eventually in America. But what, the, uh, what they say is that the people who go once they get to Mexico and ask for asylum, quote, when Mexico rejects them, the next step is to go to the U.S. The safest and most organized way is through the caravan. So he's admitting that any sane country, up to and including Mexico, yeah. is going to reject these people <laughs> because you don't get to just invade someone else's country. Only the United States feels that it is our humanitarian mission that we have to accept anybody who shows up at but, our door. But surely, I mean, there's got to be a limit, right? That we can't accept everybody. So if there's a limit, somebody's got to set the limit. Should be us, right? Shouldn't be them. How dare you? How, I, I didn't, am I on an alt-right podcast? Am I? What bigotry? Everybody, if you support the Constitution now, you're alt-right. You're on the alt-right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think the left has to get rid of that alt button on their computer because they don't know how to use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so wait, so this is organized by, in America to bring up these guys so there, there's going to be towns with no borders but it's only our border that's going because, of, of course, if you go down to Mexico, they'll arrest you like two yeah, they, seconds after you step They get over to the have their borders. It right. really it should be uh, America sin fronteras. That's really what the organization <laughs> yeah, exactly, should be exactly, called. Exactly. It's America without borders. And uh, of course, you know, you would say, the, uh, does a country have a right to determine who comes in, who accesses taxpayer-funded services, who gets to uh, use the education systems and the healthcare systems, right, who gets to vote in elections? And really, that's what this is all about. Immigrants, both legal and uh, illegal, from uh, Central America and South America identify with Democrats between three times as frequently and 8.75 times as frequently as they identify with Republicans. So it's an electoral strategy. Democrats have admitted this, but I think this is all excellent for Trump, actually. I think this caravan is great news for it's Trump. It's good for Trump. Why? Be well, we have 600 people crossing the border, and everyone, everyone who is sane, everyone who doesn't work for the New York Times thinks this is a pretty... Uh, tough situation. Meanwhile, the New York Times headline reads, migrant caravan after grueling trip reaches border. <laughs> now the really hard part. Oh, CNN, oh, hud huddling on the concrete, they wait <laughs> through the turnstiles as America. I'm Jim Acosta. I added that part, but presumably that's what they were thinking. Now I have the sads. Now no, you have yeah. to have the sads, yeah. but presumably everyone else in the country thinks this is absurd that we have 600 to 1,000 people flooding across our border, except that happens every single day. 
Really? Every, it, more than a thousand. Every single day in the United States, we arrest 1,000 illegal aliens crossing the border yeah. every day. But our policy is absurd here. This uh, got the title during the Bush era. We have a policy called catch and release. Catch and release, that's a real policy. That isn't fake news. What we do, because we're required to give these people due process and asylum and get, you know, go through the asylum process, we arrest them. But it takes a long time. It's not like you arrest them and then two hours later you say, okay, you're deported or you get to stay. So what we do is we arrest them and we say, okay, now you, now you better show up for your court date. Your court date's in about three months. You, you better show up for that. And if you don't, nothing will happen and you'll just get to live in America. That's what happens. And so they keep flooding through. If this can call attention to that problem, if we can say this was actually a good day for illegal immigration, mm. it's much lower than it normally happens. Perhaps Trump can actually get something accomplished. We know that illegal Im immigration has plummeted 40% since he became president. And uh, hopefully we can codify some of that into law so that we can prevent, uh, prevent the real blue wave <laughs> from, from coming across the border. I, I do not understand with any of this why this isn't purely a rule of law issue. I've never understood this. You know, they always, obviously the left always wants to throw race at you to make you feel bad. So you, you back down. But I do not understand why the laws are passed, as I recall, I seem to remember that the laws are passed in Washington in Congress. So when you have congressmen and senators saying, oh, we don't have to obey those laws, what, what, are they, what kind of country are they envisioning? A country where we obey the laws until our hearts are, are moved by CNN writing about the concrete? I mean, is that, is that really the country that they want to have? Because after all, the, the people's emotions aren't always going to go their way. People are sometimes going to emote and say, you know what, we, we'd like to come to Washington and drag you out in the street and dump you in tar and feathers and throw <laughs> you in the Potomac. You know, and, and then we would say, well, yeah, but that's against the law. But so what, you know? Right. <laughs> so, so I don't understand why we don't debate this wholly on a rule of law basis. And as you say, if, if this law is not serving our country, which it doesn't sound like it is, let's change the law. There's, there's, there's no debating on the left anymore. I, I don't mean that in a, I don't yeah. mean that in a glib sort of way. They admit to it themselves. They shout their abortion. They say, we have to shout our abortion. They yell and they scream. The, the reasoned discourse is over for them. And there are two really awful, vicious angles on this. There's the philosophical one. They're, they've embraced this leftist philosophy of intersectionality, whereby regardless of reason or logic, everybody has to gang up against the straight white man who thinks he's a right, man. Right. And that might mean that gay activists and radical Muslims have to gang up on the straight white man who thinks he's a man in America. Their interests don't seem to align, but they can at least destroy what they view as the oppressive uh, top of the hierarchical structure. There's that. That's a very anti-logical philosophy. And then there's the political angle, which is even in the early 2000s, even in the late 2000s, Democrats ran and said, we uh, oppose illegal immigration, which makes sense because the people voting for you are the people here legally. Right. That has changed since they've seen that they are so close. If they just give amnesty to a few more people, if they just give amnesty to some more felons and some more foreigners and some more children, if they give them all the right to vote, then they'll win more elections. I, I think the rule of law is no longer in their favor, and so they're going to under, undermine it. You know, there's a line in the the, the famous play, uh, A Man for All Seasons, about St. Thomas More, and I can't quote it exactly, but what he says basically is if you knock down the laws to get away, to chase the devil, 
what will you do when the devil turns around on you? How what what will protect you? All the laws having been laid flat. Right. And I think that that's that is going to come back and haunt them. What are you talking about on your show today? Today I'm going to be talking all about Michelle Wolf. I'll be knocking down every criticism. Uh, but she, I'll be going joke by joke. I watched this whole thing. I didn't watch Avengers, but I did watch her. And I'll explain why Michelle Wolf is not a comedian. The difference between comedy and important comedy. The difference between laughs and claps. Ah, great. It sounds terrific. I will be there. Michael Knowles show coming up. Thanks, Knowles. All right. Our crappy culture. So... I can't let uh, the show go by without talking about Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, when I was a kid, was my hero. And when I say he was my hero, his picture was on my wall. I imitated him. I could do stand-up. I would frequently, like when I was 10 years old, would do stand-up comedy routines in his style. It is really hard to, I mean, so now we're talking about when I was a little boy. So this is like 1842, right? This is a long time ago. We, you know, it's really hard to talk about the uh, impact that the guy had uh, I Spy, I never missed a single, I Spy was on for three years. I never missed a single episode of I Spy. That is who I wanted to be. I wanted to be Bill Cosby, that character. I wanted to be that character on I Spy. You know, the funny thing about this is looking back on it, and I experience, you know, the left is always talking about lived experience. My lived experience was this had virtually nothing to do with him being black. Uh, it never actually really occurred to me in those terms, his his blackness, it was really his his uh, poverty, the fact that he grew up in, in relative poverty and I grew up in rel relative privilege that gave him an authenticity that I envied and that I wanted to imitate. And it gave him a kind of street smart and street cool that I you know didn't associate with being black. I just associate, associated with his uh, his economic class. But the fact that a white boy in a, a suburb wanted to em emulate this guy and that emulating him didn't drag him down as if he had been some rap star uh, talk, you know, spewing obscenities and hatred for women. But in fact, kind of elevated me to want to be more authentic, to want to be more real, to find the humor in my life, to find what was interesting in my life. You know, that is an actual accomplishment. And the people who are picking on him today, you know, Many of them wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for Cosby, because when you're the first guy out there, all kinds of problems, uh, you know, present themselves that don't present themselves later on. Chris Rock will never face the things that Cosby faced. And Cosby did a good job. There's no excuse for what he did. What he did was a horrible, horrible crime. He's been convicted on three counts of uh, sexual assault. And it, it seems like this was a history he had of, of feeding women drugs and then attacking them while they were incapacitated, which is a, obviously some kind of deep sickness. I mean, it's not even a sexy thing to think about doing to someone. It's not, a, you know, I mean, to, to just knock people out like that. So there's no excuse for him. And it stains this achievement that he had, which was a really massive achievement, because most of you know him as like America's dad and all this stuff, which I was out of the country when that happened. That was way, way beyond my uh, childhood. But as a child, it is it's just impossible to overstate the the way he swept into our culture, uh, like just a, just a meteor just hitting the culture and just changed a lot of the ways we talked and a lot of the ways we we thought about our own childhoods and, and how he taught us to uh, dramatize our childhoods and find the humor them. So again, no excuses for what he did, but but we have to think about the questions of generalization because what Cosby did, what it was his great achievement, was that he individualized 
himself. He was an individual. I didn't think of him as a black man. I didn't think of him as blacks coming along. I thought of him as cause. He was the cause and he was somebody that you admired. That is what we lose with intersectionality. And that is what we lose with the racism of woke. I mean, woke is racism. So not only does it, if, if a black person does something now, it's, does it represent black people? I mean, does it? Uh, does what Cosby did represent black people? Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. And guess what it also doesn't represent? It doesn't represent men. And that is the sin of the Me Too movement, is that it tars men for the behavior of louts. And that is the same kind of sin as either tarring people for being black or tarring people for being white or attacking people in these groups. It is insane. It is an insane way for us to relate to one another. Uh, Tom Brokaw has been accused of attacking someone and he had the temerity to defend himself by saying this didn't happen. This woman uh, said he attacked her many, many years ago and she has a typical excuse of saying it now 30 years later, whatever it is. And I was watching Alison Camerota and Brian Stelter talking about it on CNN. And basically, we're supposed to assume that Brokaw is guilty. And all the women who work with Brokaw, uh, over 100 women, said, no, the guy has always treated women with respect. He's always been a decent person. Uh, the woman who accused him, Linda Vester, Brokaw, says that she has a grudge and that she's coming after him. I don't know which, which one is true, but why should we believe one over the other? But listen to this conversation between Stelter and Camerota and how they convict him, basically, on air. Why, in this Me Too moment, where so many women have come out and told the stories of what they've experienced in Hollywood or the media or any other industry, why the backlash against Linda Vester? This angry denial from Tom Brokaw is, is a big part of it. He, he issued this letter first to his colleagues, but then it quickly leaked out to the media where he called her a character assassin, absolutely denied the allegations, said she was seeking fame and fortune. This was a shocking response by Tom Brokaw. Uh, clearly, he believes he's the victim and not Linda Vester. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why his colleagues are standing by him. NBC is standing by him. Apparently, NBC doesn't feel there's enough evidence to investigate to warrant any action right now. Remember, he, even though he's retired from the nightly news, he's a special correspondent on the network all the time. Uh, I think the unanswered question here is whether there are other women who may come forward. I've been asking Vester's attorney if he's heard from other women. He will not answer that question. But that, that statement you just read, alluding to Vester having more to say soon, that's curious because last week she said she's speaking out now because she wants to make sure NBC's taking this issue seriously. She believes there was a systemic culture of sexual harassment at that company that was not taken seriously. She wants a thorough investigation. She doesn't feel that's happening. Yeah, you know, each of us is born with his own soul with which to start the world afresh. Each of us is responsible for his own sins and each of us is uh, to be credited for his own achievements. The way that the press has become a, uh, a vehicle for intersectionality, a vehicle for blaming people in groups, praising people in groups, looking at people in groups is part of why nobody trusts them, part of why people criticize them. They're not oppressed. They're just doing a bad job. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.